morning, everyone. Thanks for coming and sharing your Boxing Day with us here. What a blessing. Uh, so uh, one announcement before we get started. The first half of the next year's roster is done and out in the foyer for your perusal. And you can see if there's any gaps that the Lord might prompt you to fill. And thanks to everyone who serves. Thanks to, to everyone who uh, contributes. It's all volunteers who really make this ministry what it is. And so thank you for your financial contributions, all your time, your effort, and your love and prayers and uh, in supplying the needs of the fellowship. And uh, may the Lord bless you richly for your efforts for his glory. Um, we'll be in Job chapter 29 today. And let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are great. You are good and glorious, and we are so blessed to be called by your name. We're blessed to receive the gift of Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us, that he has made us uh, your children, that we are born again through faith in him, that we have new life. We have uh, just such a future and a hope. And I pray, Lord, that on this day, we would turn our eyes to you. We would lay aside cares and worries and the sin and weights that easily weigh us down. We pray our eyes would be fixed on you and our hearts would rejoice in you and in the upheaval and turmoil of this world and possibly our lives at the moment, Lord, we, we look to you as our refuge and our strength, our defense and our deliverer. Thank you that you are a redeemer and that that song we sang that you give and take away is so in tune with the heart of Job, and may that be in our hearts of submission before you, trusting in your goodness, knowing that you will perform your word and that you are wise and good. So we look to you, Lord, and bless your holy name and ask your blessing upon this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Most items that you buy in a shop will have a best before date on them. We know that during the summer, fruits and veg, they can spoil quite quickly if left out and bread. And we'd say that bread is past its prime. We wouldn't want to eat it if it's dusty with mold. And that's, that's a term that's often used with sportsmen and women, like they're past their prime. They've lost a step. They, they aren't the force they used to be. They're a legend. They're an icon in their field, but they've, they're not what they once were. And so past their prime. And it's an interesting thing we kind of have to be past our prime before we realize that we were in our prime. Like for a lot of us, our prime is like an ideal. It's, it's out in front of us at a point, but then you start getting older and you realize the things that used to be easy and I just assumed I'd always be able to do, I can't do. You know, you grow up thinking, when I get older, I'll be able to do this and I'll be able to go there and achieve and accomplish and acquire and all these things we might have as goals. And then one day we realize like, the most basic tasks, like picking something off the ground, can be difficult. We have to ask someone to help us when we would be helping others to do that same thing. And that can be disappointing. That can be distressing, depressing. When we live life focused on ourselves and the step we lost, rather than on God now, who sustains us, who helps us. So Job is in the middle of a monologue here. Uh, his friends came to comfort him, albeit in vain. He was once the greatest man in all the East. He was unrivaled in wealth and power. He had 10 children. He had good health. He had fellowship with God. 
He was held in high regard and esteem by all who knew him. And when all was stripped away, Job's sense of loss was enormous. It's like, we can't really understand how he felt because most of us have never had what he had, but it was all gone. And he didn't understand the reason why God allowed such trouble into his life, that he would lose his, his health and his children and, and his wealth and really his fellowship with God. And, and so he's, he's going through this monologue and he's talking about God's wisdom is great. It's unquestionably great. It's way more mighty and wise than we could ever understand. So I'm not going to charge God with wrong, but he still didn't understand it. And his mind went back to better times. Oh, if I could just go back to how things once were. And it's like months prior, it was like a different person. Someone in prosperity, good health, had everything. And if you don't identify with Job yet as he lamented all that he lost, just live a little longer, grow a little older, and you will have opportunity to look back and say, that was my prime. And then we can choose how we will deal with that. If we will lament it, or if we'll look to the Lord. Pain primes us to seek God. Looking to God is only gain. And so that's, that's a glorious truth about our Savior. So Job 29 verse 1 says this. Job further continued his discourse and said, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness, just as I was in the days of my prime, when the friendly counsel of God was over my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were around me, when my steps were bathed with cream and rock poured out rivers of oil for me. Job wasn't like an old man lamenting years gone by, 50 years back, 40 years back. He's saying months ago. Months ago, I was in the prime of life. I had everything that I could want. Everything I have worked for, everything I had acquired, it was lost in a day. It took me years to gain that respect, but it's all gone. And it would be remiss to ignore the spiritual part of Job's losses. Because he's talking about God protecting him. He's saying, God used to, I walked with him. He watched over me. He protected me. He gave me all those things that I had. And when he, he looks back to the time when God walked with him and watched over him, he's like, that was the day of my prime. When I could speak with God and I heard him speak. And I received friendly counsel from him. Like he had a friend in time of need. He could look to the Lord and God would answer his prayer. And he looked around and he saw his kids there and it was a sign of God's prosperity and that his needs were abundantly provided. And he goes on to talk about my steps bathed with cream. Now cream is very rich. It would be in short supply, but he had many flocks and herds and he had cream in abundance. Like he could wash the steps before he took them. If he wanted to, he had so much. He said, the rock poured forth oil for me. You know, billionaires have been made by the oil industry. Until months ago, it seemed like whatever Job touched turned to gold. He could do no wrong. God directed his steps, providing him honor and riches. And he doesn't tout God as the key to wealth. He just says, all the wealth that I had, it came from God. He acknowledged it all came from him. And as he sat in dust and ashes. He mourned the loss of his contact with God. 
being deprived of his children, his health failing, he feels past his prime. And there's a sense of permanency about it. Like there's no going back to what I had. There's no repair for the things that I've lost. His losses could not be recovered. His health would not. Uh, like he just saw no hope there. And he remained in darkness where God's light wasn't shining. And he's like, what happened? I wish I could go back to those days. Happy days and prosperity were things of the past. And death was the only thing he looked forward to. Not that he wanted to die, but he wanted relief from his grief and torment. Continuing in verse 7. When I went out to the gate of the city, when I took my seat in the open square, the young men saw me and hid. The aged rose and stood. The princes refrained from talking and put their hand on their mouth. The voice of nobles was hushed and their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard me, then it blessed me. And when the eye saw, then it approved me because I delivered the poor who cried out, the fatherless and the one who had no helper. The blessing of a perishing man came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and I was feet to the lame. I was a father to the poor and I searched out the case that I did not know. I broke the fangs of the wicked and plucked the victim from his teeth. Months earlier, he's like, I would go to my seat at the gate, not just take a seat. It was my seat. He had a place of authority. He was in a place to rule, a place of honor. And these chapters that we're going to read today, they're filled with reflections upon himself. Like he's used I, me, and my 30 times in the first 17 verses. So he's really focused on what he had done and what he had lost. And he, he, one of those things was respect and admiration. He walked by the young people and they're like, oh, they were a bit intimidated by him and ran away. The old, the people older than him would rise and give him honor. Princes and nobles, they're having their chats and they go, oh, Job is here. Like, I don't know that many of us have had that kind of honor and respect among anybody. Or you walk in the room and everyone scatters or draws to attention or stop talking because they want to hear what you have to say. They were starstruck to be in the presence of a man so wealthy, so influential, the greatest of the East. And he wasn't just respected for his net worth, but because of all the good deeds he had done to help people who could not help themselves, for people who could not repay. People, they blessed him. They hung on every word. They approved him, it says. They accepted him for his godly character. He delivered the poor, the fatherless, and the widow. People in their dying breaths blessed him because he had helped them. That's pretty phenomenal. In your dying breath, you're blessing Job because he helped you in a difficult time. That's an incredible statement. He says, I was eyes to the blind. I was feet to the lame. I was father to the poor. Eyes to the blind. He guided people who couldn't find their way. He supported people who couldn't support themselves. He directed their steps. He helped them. A father cares for, provides for the needs of his children. He teaches them and they rely upon him for their needs. Verse 16, it says that Job investigated personally. If someone was doing it tough to help them out, he, he's like, I investigated if there was a need. 
So he wasn't just like, come to me and I'll give you help. He was going to where the help was needed to help people. And he, he broke the teeth of those loan sharks that would take people in. And he would set them free, not for his own benefit. He wasn't like some of those scam artists who prey on people who are debt and desperate. And they say, oh, here's a, a debt relief consolidation scheme, but it's just to further plunder them. He was a righteous, just, trustworthy, respected man in society, helping and supporting others. Verse 18, then I said, I shall die in my nest and multiply my days as the sand. My root is spread out to the waters and the dew lies all night on my branch. My glory is fresh within me and my bow is renewed in my hand. Men listened to me and waited and kept silence for my counsel. After my words, they did not speak again and my speech settled on them as dew. They waited for me as for the rain. They opened their mouth wide as for the spring rain. If I mocked at them, they did not believe it. And the light of my countenance, they, had not, they did not cast down. I chose the way for them and sat as chief. So I dwelt as a king in the army, as one who comforts mourners. He was like in a nest, protected from all harm, enriched, prosperous. He'd accomplished everything he wanted to do. He expected to have many days before him and all in prosperity and honor. He had the, like a tree with its roots tapped into some water. And at night, like the dew fell on him and refreshed his branches. It's like he had everything. Life seemed wonderful and fruitful. And he was strengthened by God day by day. His flocks and herds are multiplying. Like he, he didn't have cares he just cared about people and he cared about honoring God. Just months back, he wasn't looking to another day as his prime. He was saying, I am in the prime of my life because I have fellowship with God, because I have everything I need, because people are reliant upon me, because there is respect. And it's like every day he's being raised to new heights of notoriety and appreciation. He's, he had the final word. He says something, people are like hungry birds, just waiting to receive it. And uh, after he, if he started speaking, everyone was quiet. No one interrupted him. And then they did what he said. He's like, I was like a king in the army. I said, do this. That's what was done. Directed their steps. They did that. That's pretty wild. People waited for him like people waited for the rain. You need rain if you're in a cult, a, agrarian society where you must plow and plant and water. It's like they, they relied on him and he felt needed. Have you guys ever felt needed? That's a good feeling. Uh, not used, but needed. Like it feels like you fit somewhere, like you can contribute. Verse 24, it says, if I mocked at them, they did not believe it. I don't think that mocked best conveys the meaning in modern English. King James Version, it says laughed. The NIV says smiled. It's more about the emphasis on the gladness of his countenance. He, he surprised people by how quick he was to smile and to be friendly and down to earth. Matthew Poole, he wrote this. If I laughed on them or sported or jested with them, it was so acceptable to them to see me well pleased with them that they could scarce believe their eyes. Have you ever had, maybe you've had a brush with celebrity or heard of someone who has uh, been around royalty or something and, 
and you've heard a bad report about them. Like they seem so friendly, but then when you're, you're with them in person, they can be quite rude. Or I was really taken aback by the thing they said, or I thought it was really a nice guy, but it turned out, uh, don't ask him for his autograph because he'll just, you know, push you aside. Job was totally different. Instead of lording it over people with his wealth or his power celebrity, he was friendly. He was generous. He was quick to smile. When Her Majesty the Queen cracks a joke, people are pleasantly surprised that there's a sense of humor under that crown. They didn't expect that. They just see this regal, royal, wealthy, powerful individual, but has a sense of humor. Like, wow, that's great. And so her cracking a joke is different than someone else cracking a joke because it's her doing it. Her Majesty the Queen. So he's not bo- like boastful, proud, or bored with just regular folks, people with no social standing. He was genuine. He was caring. He says he chose the way for them. He sat as a chief. He dwelt as a king. He comforted. His words had weight. There's a lot of things we can take for granted, and we don't realize we had taken them for granted until we lose them. There's things that we accept as normal in life. Without objection, we expect it. And we assume it will always be the case that time shouldn't change that. But that's not the case. I had a wrist injury as a a boy and I had to wear a splint on my right hand. And I spent years gaining dexterity with my right hand and I was shocked when I had to wear this splint for weeks how often I used that hand. Like trying to button a shirt? That was hard. Trying to feed myself or wash my face or just do basic tasks. I was just amazed. Like, I use this hand all the time. I didn't realize how much I relied upon it. I took it for granted. I just expected I would always have both hands to use to pick up objects and to do work around the house. Some people are ambidextrous. I am not one of them. Like, I can't write left-handed. It, you would not be able to read that. For me, it was a season of inconvenience. For other people, though, after a major injury, after an illness or a change in work, retirement, going from military life to civilian life, these are really difficult, shocking changes that can come. And there's this new normal put upon you that you didn't ask for. And there's a feeling of permanence there that that gives you a sense of how much you've lost And that's where your focus is, what you can no longer do now. We can feel adrift when we're used to people relying on us, and now we need to rely on others to help us. We want to be the helper, but we need the help. And it's hard to even ask for help. Because of the life Job lived, he expected to live long and prosper. And in a day, the life that he knew and enjoyed was over. He was impoverished. He was an outcast. He was sick. He was dying. And he didn't know why. And God was silent. And he didn't know what to do except sit there and complain with his friends. It just seemed like the help he had offered to other people was not being offered to him. And it just seemed terribly unfair. Continuing in chapter 30, verse 1. But now they mock at me, men younger than I, whose fathers I disdain to put with the dogs of my flock. Indeed, what profit is the strength of their hands to me? 
Their vigor has perished. They are gaunt from want and famine, fleeing late to the wilderness, desolate and waste, who pluck mallow by the bushes and broom tree roots for their food. They were driven out from among men. They shouted at them as a thief. They had to live in the clefts of the valleys, in caves of the earth and the rocks. Among the bushes they brayed, under the nettles they nested. They were sons of fools, yes, sons of vile men. They were scourged from the land. Months prior, Job would go to his seat of honor, but now he sat in dust and ashes. The object and, of scorn and ridicule of these, I guess, the lowest people, men of low character, poor work ethic. He's like, I wouldn't let those men like work with my dogs of my flock. Their sons are mocking me. In Job's day, Dogs did not have an elevated domesticated status that they have. Uh, they were seen and associated with being unclean, scavengers, dangerous, shameless in their breeding, and loud in their barking. And to call someone a dog was a great insult. And he's saying, like, these, these men of low character, I wouldn't even put them with my dogs. And they're mocking me. They're ridiculing me. They didn't contribute anything to society. All you would get is vulgar cat calls when you walked by. You would be having your hand on your wallet to make sure that it was going to be with you after you passed. They're, they're stealing food. They're just up to no good. Un, among the bushes they brayed, under the nettles they nested. The bray of a donkey, it's, it's loud and jarring. It's annoying. He's like, that's the kind of people they were. These nettles, have you ever had stinging nettle on you that makes your skin blister up? It's painful. It's an irritation. It's like, that's how these guys were. That's where they lived. And now I am their taunting song, as he goes on in verse 9. And now I am their taunting song. Yes, I am their byword. They abhor me. They keep far from me. They do not hesitate to spit in my face because he has loosed my bowstring and afflicted me. They have cast off restraint before me. At my right hand, the rabble arises. They push away my feet and they raise against me their ways of destruction. They break up my path. They promote my calamity. They have no helper. They come as broad breakers. Under the ruinous storm, they roll along. Terrors are turned upon me. They pursue my honor as the wind and my prosperity has passed like a cloud. People have incredible abilities and skills and it's a terrible waste when man employs such creativity in being rude and cruel to others. And Job was the recipient of that cruelty. He had become their taunt taunting song. They made up melodies about Job and crude nicknames about him. He, he was just a laughingstock to them. And the people that, would, that were respecting him before, he says, they don't hesitate to spit in my face. For all this annoyance, for all this irritation and pain, Job did not see these people, though, as the root cause of his suffering. It's really important to understand that. He's not angry at these people. He was convinced that God was the cause of his affliction. God had loosened his bowstring. Now, what good is a bow if the string is not attached to it? It's not good for anything. You can't shoot an arrow with it. You can't defend yourself with it. You don't have any range anymore. So he's like, God, he's taken away my power to defend myself. 
He's taken away my ability to, to be a shield to those around me. And he couldn't contend with the rabble who just came against him. Wave after wave, these breakers broke upon him. It's like this terror, this abuse, just wave after wave. And he was helpless to do anything about it. His prosperity had passed like a cloud. Have you ever seen an image in the clouds? You're like, oh, that looks like an elephant. And you're like, hey, look, over there. Where? Uh, to the right. See that? Oh, it's kind of changed. It looks more like a dragon now. Or I don't even know what it looks like. And there, there's a sense that the wind can just change the appearance of a cloud. And it won't go back to it. Like the cloud that looks, has one image in it at one moment. Five minutes later, it doesn't even look like the same cloud. And you, you won't just say, well, wait, wait long enough. And that picture will be back for you. No, it's gone. It's gone forever. You missed it. And that's how Job felt about his prosperity and his relationship with God. He's like, it's over. It's gone. It's all passed away. It can't come back. It's past. The irony is when Job sat in his seat of power, he used it to help others. And in his pains, the rabble relentlessly bullied and belittled him because they could. People are cruel, but God is not cruel. God's not disposed and pleased to cause torment or suffering. If God chastens us when he corrects us and disciplines us, when he allows pains, it's always with a redemptive purpose. Under law, the false prophets in Deuteronomy 13, 11, we see that they were put to death for a reason. It says, so all Israel shall hear and fear and not again do such wickedness as this among you. God was not cruel. He was kind. He was loving to warn his people of the consequences of their sin. He wanted them to turn from their sin and repent and choose to follow him and walk, walk in obedience. Job recognized the wisdom of God and his goodness was infinitely greater than him. So he's not going to charge God with wrong. He realized God knows everything. He does everything. And I don't, I don't understand what he's doing. But the Bible does tell us what God was doing. Turn in your Bibles to James 5, 10 and 11. I think it's good to bring this up occasionally because we are taking our time going through Job. James 5, 10 and 11, because in this New Testament passage, we get, gain some insight about what God was accomplishing that Job didn't understand. And this can be encouraging to you when you're in a situation like Job was. When you're not hearing from God, you have repented, you have sought him, but you're just unaware of, of what could this possibly be accomplishing? What good could come out of this loss? James 5 verse 10. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Job suffered, he struggled, but he endured by faith in God. We imagine the blessing is in avoiding pain, in avoiding the trial, and in having the enemies far away from us, having our questions quickly answered, having our needs met right now. That's, that's what we see as blessing. 
But Job's perseverance, his endurance, it's an example for us when we are in the trial, knowing that God is very compassionate and merciful. And if that seems like a raw deal, like, whoa, that's not a very good trade-off. All this loss to, to learn that. Couldn't we learn that a hundred million different ways? Who are we to question God? He has all the wisdom. He knows what he is doing. He created us. He loves us. We're like, do I have to suffer to learn? Sometimes, but let God answer that question. He suffered so we could live. He suffered so we could grow and draw near to him in faith. Don't you trust God without criticizing him, without doubting him, without questioning him? If these people that Job talked to received his word and didn't answer again, who are we to, to question God when he has spoken? Should he loosen our bowstring? He still is good. He will help us. So the blessing, it's not in our expectation being met. It's in knowledge and fellowship with God. That is the blessing. The God who loves us. Verse 16, Job 30. And now my soul is poured out because of my plight. The days of affliction take hold of me. My bones are pierced me pierced in me at night and my gnawing pains take no rest by great force. My garment is disfigured. It binds me about as the collar of my coat. He has cast me into the mire and I have become like dust and ashes. I cry out to you, but you do not answer me. I stand up and you regard me, but you have become cruel to me with the strength of your hand. You oppose me. You lift me up to the wind and cause me to ride on it. You spoil my success for I know that you will bring me to death and to the house appointed for all living. Job suffered the loss of his wealth, health, children, honor, prestige. Now he's starting to describe the illness that he is suffering from. It's like at night, I can't sleep. I've got pain in my bones. This pain is just gnawing at me all the time. There was no relief or escape from the pain that grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and shook him like a lion does its prey. Remember, when Job's friends saw him, they didn't recognize him. They came to comfort him. Like, Let's go talk to Job, our buddy. And they, who is that guy? Whoa, that's Job. They were shocked because there he's lying in the dirt, in the dust and ashes, his flesh caked with worms and his skin is starting to fall off. And he just didn't look like anyone they knew. And they couldn't believe it. They wept when they saw him. That's how terrible it was. Can you imagine the most universally respected, wise, leaner, you know, sitting in that deplorable state and instead of anyone helping him, people are criticizing him. They're mocking him and spitting in their face. No one's doing anything about it. That's just a terrible thing to consider. No one came to help him. Now, it'd be one thing for Job's fellow men who were green with envy to spitefully treat him Job's biggest complaint, though, was about God, not listening to him. Like, he's like, I feel like God's against me. I feel like I'm crying out to him and I'm receiving no answer. God seemed distant. It seemed God was cruel. Now, we know God is not cruel, but that's how he was feeling. He had faithfully and served and obeyed God. And in his time of greatest need, it seemed God was nowhere to be found. 
And it seemed cruel that he prayed and God spoiled his success. He was content to live out the rest of his days in that nest away from trouble. And it's like God caused this wind to blow and knock him out of that nest. And and there was no getting back into it. His reputation was lost. His honor ruined. His line and his legacy destroyed. And he longed to go back, but he couldn't. The sense of his present suffering and sorrow being permanent was intense. He's like, God's going to bring me to death. Because that's what happens to everyone. Now, Job was a man who feared, trusted God. He was patient. Yet he wasn't without weakness or flaws. And one characteristic we see in Job that's common to all people is that of fear. Job assumed he would live out his whole life in peace. But you know, even in his prime, he worried. He was anxious. He was afraid. If you turn in your Bibles to Job chapter 3, starting in verse 23, we see words that he spoke earlier. He had this anxiety and this fear in him, and it seems in his prosperity, he was able to push it aside. He was able to drown it out with feeling needed and working and being honored and respected and acquiring and being a parent to a child and doing all these things, having status in society. It's like those fears were able to be suppressed, but they were not gone. They were there. Job 3, 23. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes before I eat and my groanings pour out like water. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. Job had these avenues of honor and prosperity opened up before him, but God hedged him in. God threw him in a prison of pain and loss. These things Job dreaded happened to him. And I think that word is really useful for me, because if you say, are you afraid? I'm like, no, I'm not afraid. It's like, what do you dread? okay, I do dread this situation or I dread that. So we can put it in a word that makes sense to us that we can agree with and accept. Like, why are you dreading making that phone call? Do you know that that's fear? Oh, okay, right. That's something I need to take to the Lord. Are you dreading this appointment? Are you dreading this news? When it comes upon you, what will you do? So he was troubled. He's without rest. The things that he dreaded happened to him. It exposed exposed his pride and self-focus. He was afraid of what the future held. He was afraid of losing the things that he had gained. For some people, it's the fear of losing a job or a house or the freedom to travel, relationships, being diagnosed with an illness, some fear being alone, being helpless, of being needy. Sometimes it takes a tragedy and a trial to bring our fear into focus. Do you have fears? The perfect love of God, the Bible says, casts out all fear. In 1 John 4, 18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. A wonderful thing is having come to Christ 
we now have an intercessor through Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit within us who makes intercession for us, as it says in Romans 8, 26. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the, Holy, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So even when we don't have the words to pray, we don't know how to pray or what to say, the Holy Spirit is able to convey our feelings and our fears even to God. And it's good for us to confess those, that we would be trusting him instead. Because we are weak. We don't, need to, we don't need to suffer like Job to feel like he felt. That's important too. We might wonder what God is doing when we see something that's happening in our lives or in the world or in the lives of others. Or as we look back on our life and say, well, that's, I'm past my prime. Those days are over. And while you may entertain a desire to go back to previous days, it's far better to look to the Lord today. That's where the hope is. It's not, it's in him. It's not in going back. It's not being who you once were. It's knowing him now. Job asked, why is light given to a way that is hidden? He asked this because he didn't know. Now, when God asks why it's because he knows and he wants to teach us something. So let's turn to Isaiah 40, starting in verse 27. I think that's so cool. When God asks why, he already knows. Isaiah 40, verse 27 through 31. The prophet says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Believer, do you believe that you deserve an answer or an explanation from God for why something has happened? Haven't you heard that God knows everything? And I love how he trots out these titles. The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator, the supreme ruler of all time, of all things. He doesn't grow weary. He's not ignorant. He knows everything. He can do everything. You think he doesn't understand how you feel? You think he doesn't know what you need and he's unable to provide for those needs? We are weak. We are faint. We are weary, but our creator is not and never will be. He's gracious. He's good. He gives power to the weak. He lifts up those who wait on him. We look to our past and say, oh, to be young again. Well, even the youths grow weak. They grow weary. Those who are in their prime, they get tired. But those who wait on the Lord, they will find their strength renewed. 
to those who look to God and wait on him, trusting in his wisdom, he will miraculously bring divine renewal in us. Say, ah, to be 20 again, to be able to mix it up on that sports field or, oh, to do that, to be able to do this or to do that again, or to wear those pants again, or if only I had held onto that property, if only I had saved that comic book that's worth millions now, how my life could be different. If only I invested when that stock was low, how would my life be different? What do such thoughts accomplish except to lure us away from faith and reliance upon God for today and for our future? Living in the past cannot improve the present. It's God we look to. We can lament what we were or could have been instead of praising God for who he is. He is the one we are to look to. The one we celebrate and relish because he is our God. He is the Lord. He is our creator who loves us, who's given everything for us, who has taken away our fear and replaced it with his love. Have you not known? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord? He neither faints nor is weary. Our prime of life, it doesn't lay behind you, believer. It's today and the days to come as you look to the Lord. Those who wait upon the Lord, they will have their strength renewed. They will walk and not be weary. They will run and not be faint. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the encouragement in your word and even in a story as, as difficult as Job's life was. And thank you that you had redemptive purposes in it. And that in looking at Job's life and considering his thoughts, we also can learn about ourselves and our tendencies to look back to when we were in our prime. And our prime being at a day that's not today. We thank you, Lord, that it is always a prime time to look to you because you are the Lord. You are God. You are our creator who loves us who's done everything for us. And in our distress, Lord, may we cry out to you. May we wait patiently for you, believing and knowing that you do all things. That should you loosen our bowstring, you will be our defense. You will be our refuge. The battle is the Lord's. And thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that we have the gospel that Job, it wasn't revealed to him yet but it's been revealed to us through Jesus, the greatest gift. Lord, may we receive him. May we walk in the light of his glory and grace, abiding in his love, walking in obedience to him. And I pray, Lord, you would strengthen us, that we would be casting our cares upon you because you care for us, that you would, as you point out those things that we fear and dread, that we would hand them over to you, trusting our future into your hands because you are good and glorious. We love you, Lord. We're so grateful to be called by your name. And I pray that you would strengthen and encourage my brothers and sisters and bring us into a place of complete reliance and rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen.